0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long cut in pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether, and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com.
1: All right, y'all, here's the deal. Go Wild has partnered with us here at Southern Ground Hunting to make life a whole lot easier for you guys. So I get a lot of questions um, on social media, uh, on YouTube, and things like that about the gear that I use. We are extremely excited to announce that we're going to be working with Go Wild to make it easy easy. For you to see a complete list of the gear that we use here at Southern Ground Hunting. So all you have to do is you have to go download Go Wild. It's a free social media app um, and it's a community for hunters where I have put together a list of all of the gear that I use. All you have to do is look up Parker McDonald once you create your account. Go Wild is also just a fun place to hang out and chat with other hunters, other outdoorsmen. You can find tips and you can actually buy all of this gear through go wild and actually you can get a 10 percent discount if you use the code all lowercase all one word southern ground when you purchase there at go wild so join me hundreds of thousands of other hunters on go wild the download link is in the show notes and you can find it there again that's all lowercase all one word southern ground and that will save you 10 percent off of your gear purchases on the go wild hunting app the southern ground hunting podcast is brought to you by spartan forge it's forged in combat and tailored for hunters spartan forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting planning and executing their hunts You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters and they're redefining ultralight hunting if you'd like to support the southern ground hunting podcast you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode we offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits we'd love for you to join the southern ground hunting community today again that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting and now let's get to the show All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As you can tell, maybe in my voice, I am uh, not feeling too hot, haven't been feeling very good all week this week. So um, we decided to uh, just kind of do a little, I don't know what you want to call it, blast from the past, from the vault, whatever, a refresher, kind of. Um, with one of the episodes that I thought was really good, and it's an episode that we did with Dave Owens from the Hody Project. Now, uh, I know a lot of you are thinking, hey, it's not even turkey season, why are we talking to Dave Owens? Well, what you might not know about Dave is Dave is actually a really stinking good deer hunter as well. And so we had a conversation here, golly, it had to have been about two and a half years ago, um... Talking about hunting swamp type property. And uh, that's a an area that I don't have just a ton of experience in. I, I normally hunt hill country, uh, steeper terrain, big woods. Dave does really well in that swamp type uh, habitat. And I think this is a really good episode. I know the feedback we got back then was really good on this episode. And... Man, I I think if you guys haven't heard it yet, um, this is a really really good one. I apologize. We uh, we actually did have some just weird circumstances this week as far as like me being sick. Uh, had a, a guest not really work out. Actually, several guests this week not work out, and so um, I kind of got to the point where I was I'm not feeling. T- Like I said, I'm not feeling too hot. I was like, you know what, let's just do a blast from the past episode. And uh, so that's what we're going to do, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it, especially if you haven't heard it before. If you have heard it before, uh, check it out again. I just listened to it recently on a plane ride. Um, Man, so good. I've now heard the episode probably three or four times, and it's such a good episode. Dave is a super smart guy, not only about turkeys, but deer as well. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this. So enjoy this blast from the past with Dave Owens. I am joined by the one and only Mr. Penhody Project himself, Mr. Dave Owens. How you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing fine. How about yourself, sir?
1: I'm doing extremely good because I finally got some coffee today.
2: Oh, yeah. And, yeah uh pretty I good have, coffee, too.
1: It is good. It is good. We're uh, sitting here at a coffee shop. This is actually my first podcast to ever record in a coffee shop. Probably even like in a public environment like this. Well,
2: so. You can get some funny looks, I can tell that already. Oh, yeah. But you know yeah. doing good things.
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking about good stuff and everybody else that's in here gets to hear about the good stuff. Whether
2: they want to or not.
1: <laughs> yep. 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 So uh so man, I know it's the off season right now, getting mm-hmm. ready for deer season, but you had a killer turkey season.
2: I did, yeah. Was, we had uh, a we had a pretty pretty good pretty good season. Um had better but I've had far worse so i'm never going to complain about it you know i wish it was starting again tomorrow as much as i know everybody's looking forward to deer season and duck season goose season all that's right here on the cusp we got dove season in a couple weeks and that's always a lot of fun but if uh i had to flush all that for tomorrow to be open a day of turkey season i'd i'd wish my life away
1: (laughs) (laughs) so are you the kind of guy do you keep track of like numbers as far as how many turkeys you killed in a season
2: uh, so I've never told anybody about how many turkeys I've killed okay. or how many I kill in a season. That's just, I'm not a numbers guy. Yeah. I, I do keep up with it. I have a log, uh, yeah. that I basically every, every bird that either I kill or I take part in killing. I have a, a turkey log and a turkey assist log is what I call it. Uh, cause eventually one day I'd like to sit down and write, I don't know if it'd be a book or some type yeah. of, uh, essay about the turkeys that I've, uh, we got a little background noise now, <laughs> but, um. <laughs> About the turkeys, because I feel like every one of them deserves to have their story told. You know, I get real funny about turkeys, and everybody (laughs) probably knows that by now. But I do jot down a little short story. either sometimes it's a short paragraph, and sometimes it'll be, you know, a page and a half. But whatever happened and transpired, I I, I jot it down in some in details. And those details don't ever have anything to do with the turkey's size. Don't ever have anything to do with the number of turkey it was that year. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, whether it was the first turkey of the year or it was the, whatever the turkey of the year, you know, I just yeah. don't I don't when you start talking about numbers and stuff, I think you start getting into that chest thumping mentality yeah, and I'm sure. so anti Yeah, I'm the bad man on the mountain kind of mentality that uh that I don't ever even discuss how many turkeys yeah. I killed
1: or that's whatever. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, I I've talked to several people on the podcast who are similar. Mm-hmm. and and they and it's usually the, honestly it's usually the people that are probably better at it than everybody else yeah. and they they probably get the only ones that have any kind of numbers worth talking about like i know if like i keep a log of my turkeys mm-hmm. and it if anything it just makes me look bad you know <laughs> like it's, it's not a very long very yeah. long log of uh, of turkey kills but but man i followed along with your season all season long well, I appreciate and that. man it's just it's really cool to finally get to sit down with you and, and talk about that and I am, I'm really excited today because we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some turkey stuff because Mm -hmm. that's, like you said, you're, you're funny about turkeys and that's, (laughs) that's okay, you know, but you're also a, uh, a pretty good deer hunter and you've got, you know, I mean, I started following along with your, with you last, last year really is when I started really following the Penhody project and the stuff that you did. And the reason was because we were hunting a similar area and you had killed, a, a slammer buck on it (laughs) and uh like a buck that anybody would be proud to kill probably anywhere in the united states but um especially especially here and um that's what kind of got me turned on i was like oh this guy's a turkey killer oh this guy's a turkey killer (laughs) and uh and so i've been noticing that you've been doing a lot of scouting Mm -hmm. and stuff lately um specifically on like swampy properties yep and would you say that's kind of what you like to stick to
2: that's what i feel most comfortable with with deer Uh, i like hunting deer around water um and so any type of property i usually seek out water for some reason yeah um but uh, i do like hunting deer around water um so yeah that's kind of where now i've done some mountain scouting and, and stuff but um I did some of that earlier this year, but uh, I'm just closer to the swamps where I live now. So it's, yeah. that's what's kind of out, out the back door. So you'll see a lot more of that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I'm a specialist as far as any of it goes, especially sure. concerning deer. But swamps are what I feel most comfortable at, you yeah. know, in when it comes to deer hunting. So
1: That's really good, because, especially for this podcast, because I'm the exact opposite like for me where i'm used to hunting at is terrain like heavy terrain features steep mountainous stuff Mm -hmm. um but the thing that that does make us similar is i really like to find water Mm -hmm. um i use the kayak to access pretty much 100 percent of the time for turkeys and deer and and so i i feel like there's going to be a lot of similarities as far Mm -hmm. as that's concerned but the the main difference is swampland's flat Mm -hmm. and what i'm used to hunting is you know hill country terrain I was telling you earlier, I can find a, I can find a bed mm-hmm. in hill country in a heartbeat. But you put yeah. me in the middle of a swamp, man, and I'm jumping bucks out of their bed, yeah, left, left and right. right. Like I can't, <laughs> I, I can't figure that, I can't figure that out. So, um, just really diving into it, just right out the gate, like, is that something that you're paying a lot of attention to in the swamps? Is where are they bedded at? Um,
2: I think everything I do and we mentioned this earlier before we started the podcast, everything I, I do now and what I have done in the past has centered around bedding. Um, and I don't want to sound like a, a broken record or regurgitate everything that's kind of the cool thing to do now, which is buck bedding and, you know, with infault stuff mm-hmm. being so huge now and the hunting public kind of making that uh, kind of common knowledge to everybody that deer hunts has heard of buck beds now. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm another just a spectator because I started listening to that stuff and studying that stuff. And I'm very, I guess the word's analytical when it comes to anything. Like I study like Mm -hmm. turkeys, like I study why they sound the way they do and why they make the noises they do and why they're here. You know, why did they go there? Why did they choose this? Do the same thing with deer. Yeah. I've just never been able to come up with good answers for why deer (laughs) do it. You know, I mean, obviously the pinch points and the, you know the stuff but like the bedding we um and, and here again we mentioned this before we started the podcast but i started looking back on all those past successes that i have had and like when i did kill a good buck um i've been fortunate enough to kill a handful of, of, of decent deer uh and i with my bow because i don't rifle hunt i haven't mm-hmm. rifled hunted in 15 or 20 years but um it all centered around bedding whether i knew it or not yeah like all my success was around deer beds and i was always more excited when i found the beds and was hunting around beds um maybe that contributed to it because i was you know if you feel like you're going to be successful if you're confident you hunt harder and you hunt more careful than you do when you don't have confidence and when i found deer beds i was always more confident and maybe that played a role in it probably a combination of everything yeah but like looking back to successes, even from when I was a kid, I remember like when I was a kid, my dad's a fanatical deer hunter is to this day. And I remember we hunted a particular club at that point. I was, you know, I'm talking when I was like eight, nine, ten years old, 12 years old, I remember walking to those stands, and we would be hunting these hardwood knobs that was butted up to a piece of public land, but we were on the private, and we had the hardwoods, and those deer were bedded on those knobs, not the main ridge, but those little finger ridges, and we had some stands on those knobs. And when I would go to my stand and I found those big, you know, padded-down beds full of white hair, I always felt confident, and I figured out that the stands that we always had the most success in Were those stands centered around those beds? Yeah, we killed deer on food plots and, you know, over creek crossings and pinch points. You know, stands that my dad had put up essentially. But we were hunting those type places. But it was always the beds that we always seemed to have more success in. Yeah, years on down the road, you know, when you get your own driver's license, you start hunting and you hunt and hunt and Like I told you earlier, the main way I kill most of my stuff is through persistence. Yeah. (laughs) Like I just hammer it until I finally find success. Yeah. Um, And I killed some deer using that approach, the persistent approach, but then those successful hunts, I look back on them even later in life. Um, Like I I killed a, a really nice deer in Illinois a handful of years ago now, but I killed that deer over a huge bedding area that i've stumbled in on yeah Um, Now, did you
1: know it was a bedding area when you when you stumbled into it
2: yes well i found it earlier in the season and i quickly when i laid my eyes on it it was one of those things like i just froze i was like i need to get out of here yeah like i this is where it's gonna go down like i just knew this is where it was gonna happen yeah um and it was a huge it was a doe bedding area but it was a huge like an unbelievably big doe bedding area it was just littered with like 20 or 30
1: beds and and, and during the rut like yeah, that's yeah. what i key in on most of the time is those, doe bedding, those big doe bedding areas
2: and it was right on the side of a really steep bluff that nobody wanted to walk up mm-hmm. but that's exactly where i went and as soon as i rolled over to the other side and got into a little bowl and that's just where all those deer were bedding they were safe up there yeah and i basically had my stand just on the downwind side of it you know and um hunted it i was still hunting smart from what i had read you know only hunting when the wind was right only hunting you know i didn't want to overpressure the area but it was probably the fifth or sixth time i had hunted that particular tree because i knew it was going to be right um but it, here again i killed that deer uh, it was a really nice deer and i killed him coming straight through the center of that bedding area on november about 14th so right in the heat yeah. of the rut he had lost his doe and was coming in there to find another mm-hmm. one um but here again unknowingly i was hunting those beds you no, know, I knew I was hunting beds, but I was using the tactics that everybody's using now. But it right. didn't go in there were, with intentions on using those quote tactics. unquote
1: beast hunting.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. exactly. So, um, but yeah, just kind of looking back on all those past successes and wondering what caused those to be successful. Like I said, I analyzed everything. I'm like, why was he here? Like, and I, I, I began to put the pe- you know pieces of the puzzle together. Way many years later, I'm like. That was the bed, like, where yeah. he was at. That is the military crest. Mm-hmm. Like, that all makes sense. You know, that's the bend in the river. He was probably bedded right up there in that elbow of the river. You know, like yeah. everything starts to make sense. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool, uh, all of these new tactics. And, and I'm as heavy and deep and neck deep and all that stuff now as anybody.
1: Right. Um, so. So when you're, when you, when you're going and, and you're, you're breaking down a swampy area, just for example, um, we, we and we've we've hit on on this podcast. We hit on hill country bedding techniques quite a bit, like mm. that because that's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when it comes to a swamp, like I've said, I'm lost most of the time. Like the the piece of the piece of land that I public land that I've hunted around, um, you know, swampy flat areas mm-hmm. around water things like that. I always tend to be almost right. Like, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> almost got it right, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just not right. So, I'll, I'll bump bucks out of their beds a lot. And and I've never been able to find, like, a consistent, like, in a swampy area. The only consistent thing is high ground, higher mm-hmm. ground, which from a topo map. It's hard to find in it, a swampy area. Yeah, because you, you just don't have a whole lot of those contour lines.
2: Is, yeah, high ground is two feet difference. In exactly. That, yeah.
1: And it doesn't exactly show up on onyx Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know and so i'll go into these areas where um you know i'll see like a transition line or some type of thicket and i'll get close to it and then i'll bump a deer out of its Mm -hmm. bed and i'm like well that's not where he was supposed to be i don't think (laughs) so uh so when you're going into one of these areas or you're going into scout what are the things that you're you're finding that are consistent about these bedding areas
2: well there's not a lot consistent which is the biggest picture here i think a lot of people see these tactics and i'm guilty is um very guilty i I look at everything as black and white and we're dealing with wild animals here so everything should be kind of approached with a bit of uh flexibility Mm -hmm. because and another thing is is we always listen to these tactics and try to employ these tactics which are usually targeting older deer like there's you know he's going to be bedded here because he knows it's bulletproof Mm -hmm. where a lot of times we're bumping those younger deer that may not be employing those those same tactics yeah. and those same survival techniques as those older deer are i know that's what i've been guilty of yeah. I'm like they're not supposed to be there well right they're just kind of willy-nilly been yeah. where they you know been where they well pleased but um some of the things that i do is um let's see when i approach an area i <sighs> us being from the south and here again getting back to those techniques the infault stuff um the wind stuff i think we've got to tailor those mm-hmm. to uh whatever you're hunting And like our area i don't know about you but in my opinion down here in the southeast we don't get those consistent winds that they seem to get in the midwest and in upper midwest so when they're hunting like thermal tunnels and stuff i do think they exist here during certain times of the year mm-hmm. but only during certain weather patterns do they exist. I think the deer know that, right? or the sign and the beds that i found and, and stuff that I've hunted in the past wouldn't be there because there is things where they said they would be. But I don't know if it's as consistent as what, like, you know, in those type of areas where the wind is out of the northwest consistently throughout the season. Right. I think the deer here bed in areas that are just flat-out bulletproof, regardless of the wind i don't think now i do think they live and die by the wind but i think they can't trust it no more than we can because the wind swirls and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that they do i'm sure trust the thermals which are obviously more consistent and i've found deer bedding you know in little low swells and i i think that is because they don't plan on getting up and moving any distance until Evening time, and they know in evening time the thermals will be dropping. So essentially, they're going to be at the bottom of the pool, and everybody's scent's going to be funneling to the pool if anybody's within 360 around them. Yeah. Um, so I've found stuff like that happening, um, and I've also found, uh, like you said, those little high spots that has. Uh, a different vegetation like a lot of times these swamp bottoms are extremely open i don't know what you've seen but really open i mean you see a couple hundred yards yeah Um, it
1: it just those floods whenever it floods and stuff it just takes out all the vegetation the underbrush
2: doesn't have a chance to grow a lot Mm -hmm. of times it stays underwater so you have extremely open uh, understory and those deer will a laid over tree they'll utilize um uh what are those little around here what i found uh, the deer bedding up against the stuff that stays green. It's those little the little oranges. What are they called? Long splinters on them. Like oh, like thorn. honey locust? Not honey locust because it's got those little oranges. It's not like a little orange about the size of a golf ball. I mean, it smells like an orange and they stay green and got really thick vines. I can't think of the name of them. Doggone. I'm, I'm if not you see good it, at plants. but it, If you see it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure somebody's listening to this screaming at the radio right now going, it's a and I can't believe I can't think of the name of it right it, now. Did
1: you post a picture of on the other day?
2: Yes, I did. It's it's like um, a dark green stem. See. It's got a thorn like three inches long, and it's got little oranges on it about the size of a golf ball. And you and you open them up, and they look like a I don't know.
1: Did you post a picture of it, or was it on your story? I can't remember. It's probably on my story. It probably is. Yeah. Oh well. Somebody's anyway, going to know what you're talking that, about.
2: That green bush. You can find mm. those kind of sporadically throughout the swamps for some reason, and uh, I found the deer use those because it seems like they know that they stay green all year. And they can be in that open swamp and see 200 yards, 360 degrees, and um, as long as it's in a spot that their belly stays dry, they they were bedding there and and taking advantage of that ability to.
1: So a lot of this stuff that you're talking about is – And if I just compare it to like hill country, like what I'm, what I'm used to hunting and what I can hunt well, Mm -hmm. um, I can, I can find these places on maps easily. Like I can find, uh, I can find the military crest on, on a map. I can find, um, one of the things that I always pay a lot of attention to, especially up where I'm hunting at is those like really young, uh, pine thickets that are just super thick. And if I happen to find one that's just off of one of those tiny little spurs of a Mm -hmm. ridge and, like, those little spots like that are money for betting. Oh, yeah. They love it. Yep. And especially if it's, like, kind of overlooking a some type of creek bottom or something like that yeah. where most of the time they can just hop down there and get, and get going get, or go get, the other way and go over the ridge exactly. top. Yep. They, they have all kinds of different options in those kind of areas. But And I can find those from a map. Mm-hmm. What I can't find from a map is a, a blown-over tree. Exactly. That's or or yeah. this mystery bush that we can't, can't think of what it's called. Of, yep. Or privet.
2: Um, privet is one of the most common things that you're going to find that's going to mm-hmm. stay here. young Younger privet before it gets so old that the bottom, you know, the understory gets. Right. Gets, uh, now, thick, young privet can get so thick that deer kind of turn away from it, especially mm-hmm. a deer. You just got to think logically, a deer with a, you know, 15, 16 inch wide, you know, set of antlers on its head. And he's trying to squeeze through these little, like I got into some of that. I was looking at maps and I was looking at the creeks and I was like, this is where I want to concentrate. And I get in there and the and the ground is so thick that I'm like. They just can't, they're not even gonna. Looking from satellite, this makes sense. Like the topography, mm-hmm. the way the creek turns, you know, um, it makes sense, but it's too thick. Like mm. it, he, he can't be in here and be safe because he can't escape quick enough. Yeah. Um, but what I have found is them stepping right in the edge of that. And using that as cover because they know nothing else can get through that stuff either. You know, they Mm -hmm. know if a coyote or whatever uh, can't get through that stuff easily either. And if it does, they're going to hear it from a mile away. Yeah. Um, So I have found that deer are using, since they can't use the wind, the wind's not consistent. They can't use the wind to know what's behind them all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that they're putting something at their back so that they don't have to survey as much of an area. Right. You know, if they don't have to look 360 degrees, they only have to look 120 degrees because their back's completely covered, whether that be by water or whether that be by super thick vegetation or whether that be by falling down tree or whatever,
1: you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So are you, uh, speaking of water, another thing that comes into play big time, especially when it comes to bedding, is thermals. Yep. and that—that's one thing that I have not been able to figure out in a swamp, because you have water everywhere. Yeah, you know, like where what what's it pulling? Like where where is that going to pull to? What, what's going to override yeah, it? You know,
2: only I, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be some expert on thermals either. But from from what I the thermals will always go to the low area, mm-hmm. and they'll always go toward water. Now there's a lot of water. I usually what I consider. The most water is going to either hold the sun's heat or resist the sun's heat the most. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you consider a big body of water, it's going to stay cooler longer. It's going to stay hotter longer. Right. Um, so, like if it's an extremely hot day, like you know this time of year, I can figure that water temperature is way high, and you know the uh, your scent's gonna it's going to be pushing that those air molecules up. Right. And so it's going to pull your scent. More so, and I could have that completely backwards. This is something I have to sit there and kind of scratch my head and close my eyes and really think about.
1: Right. But well, they, yeah, like I
2: always try to hang right over water, extremely close. Because yeah. in my experience, that's the way the thermals are going to fall. Right. You know, it's just toward the water.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And that's going to be most of the time, most of the time, you're going to be dealing with falling thermals or pulling thermals. Mm-hmm. Um, in the prime times of the day, evenings, yeah, yep, evenings, yep. and the first yep. thing in the morning, the evening. Now, you start getting into a lot of the mature buck tactics, as far as like the rut is concerned yeah, and midday, things. That midday travel. is going to be important, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, that that's what I, I struggle to figure out in swamp. That's easy to figure out in hill country. Yeah. You know, like Don't you can get
2: directly above or below them, I mean, exactly.
1: To, you know. Um, and they're and they're using those uh those. Thermal tunnels Mm -hmm. to their advantage. I Mm -hmm. killed a uh, a good buck this past season because he was using that thermal tunnel and he was just cruising right along along with it and headed to a a doe bedding area to scent check it. I Mm -hmm. mean that was it was, and this ridge, the ridge that I was on was he was walking that thermal tunnel and the bottom of it was Mm -hmm. the lake. Oh, so I mean it was it was perfect for my whole situation and I ended up killing him and and it was awesome. Now, when I when I start looking at stuff on a map for you know Kentucky, even yeah. even talking about Kentucky, it's similar, man. Yeah,
4: there's a little more be.
1: terrain than than what you would call swamp, mm-hmm. a swampy area, um, but a lot of it's flat farmland. And I'm you know when I look at a map, I just tell you when I look at a map, when I pull up Onyx and I'm looking at a new piece, you know, the, the, I go to a, there's a place that I go to in Kentucky, a WMA and i know it right mm-hmm. like i've been there several times and i kind of know the area so i can i can put pins on the map you yeah. know and put put together certain pieces of the puzzle just from a map just because i've been there i've scouted it i've hunted it now if i go to a completely different area of kentucky and i look at it i'm like i, I don't know what the freak i'm looking at <laughs> you know i don't have any there's it's hard for me to to put pins down because of all this stuff that we're talking about, Mm because I don't, I don't, I don't know the area. And if I don't know it, then it's hard for me to look at it on a map. Whereas somewhere with a little more terrain, I can look at it on a map and, and try to break it down a little bit better. And we're Um, leaving
2: tomorrow, going to Kentucky, completely new ground. So it's going to be a learning experience, but I've already, you know, dove into the maps for hours Mm -hmm. and I've dropped pins on likely areas where what I'm trying to study is I'm trying to treat it like here and just trying to look at the maps and pick out what i think's bulletproof bedding locations yeah regardless of wind let them use their eyes and their ears um and their nose where applicable you know yeah. they're going to use their nose whichever way the wind's blowing but it has to be bulletproof and just about all yeah U- using all the senses like mm-hmm. if a deer can bed down and have something on all its size that's going to be loud like water or something um so i've studied that in like little peninsulas that go or from the map look like peninsulas or, or mm-hmm. whatever that go out so that he's only got to watch his back trail he don't have to mm-hmm. really you know he don't really have to consider anything else because they can't really get to him there
1: mm-hmm. um and i mean the the other thing too with a lot of this that you're talking about around water is you know if you're hunting a place that is not like a swamp or something mm-hmm. like that you're not worried about islands and things mm-hmm. like that you're always looking at escape routes right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. A, a buck isn't going to bed in a spot you know That he doesn't have an escape route
2: that's what i was thinking to say next (laughs) yeah
1: so so i'll I'll let you go but water is an escape route like
2: oh yeah for sure
1: and they know it's an escape route i can't tell you how many times people sent me pictures of you know what i'm talking about similar stuff like this or hunting land of deer swimming or last year i sent you a message because i thought that the buck that you had killed (laughs) um, because we happen to be around the same area i thought the buck that you had killed might have been this buck that i literally looked at swimming behind me in my kayak you know and he was he was a big giant buck and he was using that water as an escape route which i'm pretty sure he got killed after that so it wasn't a great escape yeah it
2: was kind of in that in that area is um he just hasn't nowhere to turn. <laughs> no, not when they everywhere. not when the season opens up, <laughs>
1: yeah. man. He's like, I learned that. I thought there was going to be not very much pressure, but I learned very quickly that. Yeah, he gets pounded pretty it, hard. It does get pounded pretty hard, even from water access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but regardless, that buck had he knew that. It's oh, not yeah. like that's the first time he he swam Absolutely right there.
2: Not. And I was hunting that area um, later uh, last season or whatnot, and and had some deer. Heard some dogs jump some deer. Mm-hmm. I was actually on my way out. And I was going in by kayak and um, got in my kayak and was paddling out. and These deer ran a doe and a yearling, and they did the same thing. They came mm-hmm. off that big land, and they hit that water 100 miles an hour, skipped across an island, and we hit the water again and just got back on the mainland. And they freaking and, fast. Oh, man, you'd think they got finned. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I, I couldn't so.
1: believe it. Well, when I saw that buck swimming that day, I couldn't tell what he was because all I could see was a head yeah. with big antlers sticking out of the water. And I was yeah. like, is that a goose? What is that? Is that a beaver? <laughs> and then he finally hit that shallow ground and started coming up. And, I mean, it was like, I wish I should have had a camera on my head, like a yeah. GoPro or something, because it was beautiful. It was oh, like, yeah. he came up, he's dripping with water, you know, yeah. and probably That's walking awesome. to his death. But, yeah, probably so, yeah. Um but yet, yeah they do they use that water to their to their advantage exactly a lot.
2: and that's not a, a lot of times like I was doing some scouting a couple weeks ago in some some mountainous country and I had picked out this bluff looked like you know topo lines are just stacked on top of one another. I thought they'll be using that and and, and I got it backwards. I was like they'll be using the top of that they can bet on the edge of that and nothing can get to them from below they'll just be able to well I quickly got up there and I said that is so sheer they're blocked off like they can't escape that way Mm -hmm. it's too sheer so then i had to drop down and the deer were bedding at the bottom of it and using it at their backs so they could watch everything and that's where i started finding stuff
1: was it hotter was it warmer in the warmer months
2: oh yeah it was just a couple weeks ago yeah so
1: that that's one thing about about those bluff areas like Mm -hmm. that i think i think once it starts getting colder we had a guy um we just did the series local legends and we had a guy come on his name's jamie mckay and he hunts up up there where I hunt super steep and he's talking about these bluff gaps and though they use those gaps in the bluffs and that's their escape route. Well, if you, if you scout those type of areas a whole lot, especially during the winter or the colder months there, you'll find a trail that's like hugging the ledge of those of the top Uh really closely and for whatever reason. And then they're using the gaps that are in that to kind of escape. Hmm. But when I scout during the, in the summertime, it's the opposite. You'll oh, yeah. see them because it's cooler down there. Down below. The, down below yeah. it. Um, so it's interesting. You know, I mean, yeah, those are the things that you can put together in hill country that you just can't necessarily always do in yeah. in Flatland.
2: And I like, in, in, in Flatland, I really like water access, which, like you said, around here, it's, it's probably more popular than their standard park at the gate and walk in. So it's mm-hmm. kind of working probably against you. Um, but um, – saying all that I do like hunting swamp country because a lot of it is is access to be completely honest with you because I like being lazy and I like paddling up really close to where I can hunt for a couple different reasons because yeah. I don't like dragging stands and all this junk that I have to bring when I go deer hunting with me mm-hmm. I don't like carrying that junk that far and not to mention it's really nice to get right up in your stand you haven't tracked through anything you haven't blown anything out I can be you know I just feel like you know, a ninja when I'm yeah. in there, you know, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way, dude. I've,
1: when I started using the kayak, like, here's the thing. A lot of people think that you're like, when you start using the kayak and like, I post pictures of mm-hmm. deer, you know, up on mm-hmm. my kayak and stuff mm-hmm. and paddle them out. People are like, Oh, that's so hardcore. It's so I'm like, I mean, really the guy who's hiking in three miles is, yeah. is the one that's really putting sweat equity yeah. into it. All I do is put a little bit more effort into the front end yeah. of getting the boat out and yeah. loading yeah. everything onto it. Yeah. And it's just, to me, in my opinion, I would I would much rather paddle.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Than hike. <laughs> I, I mean, as long as if I was hiking without all the junk, sure, I'd rather hike. But when you got to carry the stand and the bow and the camera mm-hmm. equipment, you know, all of that stuff, the next thing you know, you're – and it's not the weight as much as it is just the bulkiness. You know, yeah. something hanging. I can't stand to have – like limbs getting caught on stuff, that, yeah. just, that just sends me over the edge real quick, so I can put it on the front of the kayak, and it's really nice, Now it's not to say, like I said, around here, it almost works against you, yeah, because so many people are doing it now, and so many around here, people around here have boats and stuff, so, yeah, there's a big, access. I know there's
1: a big duck hunter population around Huge. here, and so, a lot of the places that, you know, where I hunt a little further south from here, um, is not necessarily duck hunters, you know, you yeah. don't have a lot of those, and so, If you find a place that's only accessible by kayak, either it's too shallow or um, skinnier water or something like that. Um, But really, I mean, honestly, the places that I hunt, I don't run into a lot of water access. Now, when I came here and I was like, oh, crap, there's a lot of people using. And they're using mud motors and things Mm -hmm. like that, those long tail mud motors. And it's just... Man, it, it, there's nowhere
2: they can't get to. Exactly. I, mean, I have one. I mean, it, you can literally go anywhere. It's almost like a fan boat. Yeah, you it absolutely. And you can get there's you want. and everybody around here, like the duck hunting population, duck hunter population is thick around here. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, deer season opens before duck season does. And I've just, <laughs> you know, if you got deer hunt, you know, um, once duck season hits, there's a lot of ruckus on the water, but there's much many fewer deer hunters yeah but um unfortunately duck hunt season's not in so you have everybody that's got a boat is out there so it kind of it can work against you but um and it's gained popularity over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. for sure yeah Um, i'm one of them like i said i mean i'm one of them that's that's Mm -hmm. always thought about it but just started employing it the last few years
1: so are you still gonna i saw that you you posted about getting that that boat with the big long tail motor on it. are you going to use that instead of the kayak are you still going to be using the kayak It'd a lot probably
2: be a combination of both because um, there was a lot of areas that i wanted to hunt last year but it was at a kayak distance you know yeah. but so uh, i'll probably be piggybacking <laughs> the kayak in because i still don't think that driving something i mean those things are extremely loud good lord <laughs> so i don't think these guys that are running these things up to wherever they're hunting i don't think that's good practice yeah so i'll be do i'll be piggybacking i'll be getting you know within a that's my plan i don't really know what i'm gonna do yet i'm so unstructured when it comes to all this stuff but i know that that's an option now you know getting to places that i couldn't get to just here again just gaining more access man i just i don't want there to be a piece of public dirt that i can't get to if i don't want to i I agree with you i I
1: ended up putting a motor on my kayak i've got the new canoe oh yeah and i ended up getting a 2.5 horsepower motor oh yeah um for that because i'm uh, which i don't hunt a lot of the same type of stuff. I'm hunting mm-hmm. a lot deeper water most yeah. of the time. So I can get that motor in there and yeah. and go. Yeah. Um and it goes know, like eight miles per hour, so it's it's not super fast, but it, yeah. it takes me about fifteen minutes to get four miles, I okay. think. So I can get in there get there pretty quickly and yep. and I can still get into the areas that are only kayak access too. though oh, yeah. all I have to do is just take my motor off and yep. it's just it's easier. Yeah. Um Okay, so so going back into swampland and you know kind of navigating that kind of area are you using a lot of ag to your advantage do you pay attention to that while you're looking at it
2: i use food sources to my my advantage but i have quickly learned that that's a very big secondary to bedding still i think security is deer's number one that's something i've kind of it just kind of continues to reiterate itself every season once i started here again you know last couple of seasons all of these new tactics and stuff i started paying attention to what i do mm-hmm. what i've had success doing and what hasn't been successful the biggest thing yeah and um here again i'm just i'm just it's, it's just kind of it's a blatant like right in your face you can't ignore it bedding is the most important thing secure bedding mm-hmm. um you know you can have a bean field or a corn field or a clover field or whatever it might be um and there's going to be deer on it but I've found that there's fewer deer at the ones without secure bedding close by. And the mm-hmm. ones that do have secure bedding close by usually have a lot more deer. So I think when I look at a map, my first thing is bedding. Because one other thing that I think people get wrapped up on is that ag. Because they don't realize that like deer are browsers. They're not a grazer. They're not like a cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to go to a field and just sit there daylight to dark and just eat because they require and desire like a huge array of things right um like you, you know my, my girlfriend courtney she's a biologist and i'm i dive into all her scientific papers or graphs and she's stuff she knows i'm going to be interested in
1: let me ask it's, you just, this while you're talking about that yeah does, is, does it happen a lot because i think most men probably don't ever have to deal with uh a girlfriend or a yeah. wife that <laughs> maybe knows more about deer than they do is that something that is the case with It really with
2: you? has been eye opening to a lot of those like uh like stuff i was thinking to say like all these charts and stuff and like she understands when a deer prefers what and when you know just on these studies and, and studying like um uh, stomach contents and stuff and they have these graphs and stuff that she always reads and stays up on the current things and um She brings that to my attention, and that's what's kind of reiterated the fact that deer aren't, just because there's a bean field over here, that doesn't mean every deer in the county is going to be there right after dark or right at dark. Because these deer eat, there's so many forbs and natural native grasses and all of this stuff that is available to them. Yeah. That they had they prefer a lot of times and they'll Mm -hmm. stop there sure they may end up at the bean field they'll spend some time at the bean field because it's just another one of those forms or legumes or whatever they want to eat
1: yeah but well it's kind of like it's kind of like you know you hear people talking all the time or maybe not even all the time but i've heard people talk about it before that deer they know what their body needs whereas like corn people think like okay they're gonna come come eat corn as soon as they can as mm-hmm. soon as they possibly need corn or mm-hmm. people out here you know yeah. the baiting law yeah. changed and so they're like yeah. oh i'm gonna like, i'm gonna they, kill they, the biggest buck ever off, over this corn feeder but deer understand that really what they're getting from corn is fat yep you know it's and candy. and they know they they need other things mm-hmm. um I've, I've heard the same things about uh persimmons it doesn't yep. offer them a whole lot of nutritional value just tastes good. That's you like know?
2: muscadines. Everybody always harps, oh, early season, you better be sitting on a muscadine vine. You know, it took me a couple hundred, it seems like, to sit <laughs> over muscadine <laughs> vines and not seeing anything. And I'm like, this thing is reeking of grapes. I mean, it smells like a vineyard in here. And I, well, how am I not seeing deer? Yeah. Because if that grape vine is not close to secure bedding, then it's just as well not be there. I mean, it's just, the, the, and then you look at it and the grapes are you start paying more attention to it. You yeah, know, there's deer tracks around it, but a lot of the grapes are rotting. You know, there's a lot of you know left on the ground.
1: Um, it, it's funny because people like to give deer almost human characteristics. Because mm-hmm. humans, we struggle with. We we don't, for the most part, have to worry about security. Security. You know, we're not we're not worried about if I eat this cheeseburger. Am I going to be able to run away from a murderer? Yeah, you know, yeah. like we're not – that's not something that computes in our minds, so we eat the cheeseburger. Yeah. Whereas deer, they tend to gravitate more towards security than they do food, like For you sure. said, and they know, they know how much they can take, you yeah. know, of, of one certain type of food. They're not yeah. just going to come well, eat corn.
2: I, yeah, I think it's just – I think it's, like I said – in my opinion, unless you are hunting a barren wasteland, and I don't know why the deer would be there anyway, they're going to have some type of food within extremely close proximity to their bed, whether you know that it's food or not.
1: Texas is like that. When you look at Texas, mm-hmm. um, I was raised in West Texas, so mm-hmm. there's, there, there are some, some food sources that are excellent for deer in Texas. There's a lot of deer in West Texas, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like corn is king. If you've got a corn feeder up, that's why people do it yeah. out there. That's, I mean, because it is, it is truly one of the main food sources for deer mm-hmm. in Texas. That's not to say that there aren't deer that are living off other stuff and not yeah. eating eating the corn. But, I mean, if you want to get a good idea of what deer in your, in your area or have the best opportunity at a mature buck in West Texas, where I'm from, you better be hunting over a feeder because it, it's going to be very unlikely that food you see a deer. Limited, yeah. yeah. And so... You know, like what you said, unless it's a barren wasteland. Well, it kind of is out there, and so they they are coming to corn.
2: It's like anything else; it's that limited, limiting resource. I say the same thing about turkeys. You got to find those limiting resources and get in the area that provides everything they need in the smallest amount of area. They're 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 a wild animal. They're trying to survive without spending as much. You know, without spending energy if they don't have to. Mm -hmm. They want to be very efficient. Uh, Efficiency is something that I always. I practice it in my daily life to the point of you know to, to my fault. Like I want everything to be so efficient. I want to mm-hmm. be if I'm going from point A to point B, I want there to be a purpose, and I want to try to do two or three things. I can kind of kill more than one bird with the stone, you know. But um, deer are the same literally. way. They, they try, for literally, for you, yeah. <laughs> Turkeys, but um, but yeah, same thing with deer. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be uh, whatever is most secure to them that provides them the most uh, variety for food sources that they know they're going to need. Yeah. but I think. Um security will always be king and your bigger deer are gonna be, you know, here's here again I'm regurgitating Dan Infault type stuff, but the bigger deer are gonna be in the best bedding. Mm -hmm. Best bedding is gonna be the most secure and closest to some good food. Yeah. Usually. But like I hear again, I'm going back on what I just said, good food may not be as easy to recognize for people as they think it is. They think good food is this cornfield or good food is this soybean field good food could be ragweed it could be you know whatever's available to them definitely you know right there by their beds yeah i've seen deer and i'm sure everybody else has if they start paying attention you've got this bean field and it's got this border around the bean field where the farmers won't plant within so many feet of the of the field uh, edge because of the shade of the overhanging limbs or, or whatnot, or like on a lot of public areas, it's the borders that just required to be left around the edges of the field. And they'll see the deer come out and spend an incredible amount of time in those edges before they go out into the beans. And everybody's like, oh, that's because it's thick and it provides them more cover. Well, the doggone beans are waist high. So yeah. The beans are providing cover too. Why are they spending so much time in those borders? That's because there's forbs in those borders that they prefer. I yeah. mean, you know, there's, they prefer obviously more than the beans, or they'd be out there now. Eventually, by the end of the night, they've had enough of the Forbes in the, you know, they'll be in the beans
1: too. But, um, there was a, there was a, an area in Kentucky, and, um, I will probably remember this for the rest of my life, you know, kind of what I saw here. It was, uh, the second, the second time I had went to Kentucky, that's last season in October. So the beans were already, not even an option like Mm -hmm. it wasn't even something that they were you'd walk through a bean field at this point it already turned and they had already turned and there wasn't even hardly any deer tracks in them Mm -hmm. um whereas when we went early in the season they were green and there were deer tracks everywhere Everywhere. you couldn't take a step without seeing deer tracks um but the cut corn fields were getting hit hard Mm -hmm. and um i was sitting over this cut corn field one evening and and by the way everything that you just said like about like you almost have to throw it out the window when you go to Kentucky this week because, yeah. like, the thing that I tried to do last year was hunt beds and these other food sources, and it's like the deer just don't even care about They're them.
2: They're not pressured. They don't have that pressure. So no. Security's not such a big issue. Exactly. <laughs>
1: it's It's so crazy. I mean, everything we're talking about, I'm like, man, that'd be awesome if that would have worked in Kentucky last year <laughs> because I could have figured it out a lot easier, but. Um, anyway, I was hunting this cut cornfield, and I started seeing these deer pop out of the same spot in this field over and over and over again. I mean, and by the end of the night, there was like 40 deer in the field on public yeah. land, 40 yeah. deer, and they were all coming out of the same spot. So the next morning, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go try to find out where these deer were. I'm going to see what, why were they coming there because it wasn't a low spot in the field. It was nothing like that. There was something, though, that was yeah. right there that was causing them to be right there at that time. So I ended up hiking in the next morning. That evening, I was there from the water. I kayaked in. So I hiked in the next morning and um, got to that area, and what I found was there was a whole bunch of white oaks right there that were dropping right in that spot, and it looked like hogs had just tore it up because there were so many deer, Mm -hmm. and they were eating that. They had corn right there, but in this situation, they knew that their white oaks uh, or the acorns were going to, only be there for a limited, amount, limited yeah. amount of time. And so they were staging up in in the woods where I couldn't see them eating those acorns mean- for God knows how long. You know, I mean, I could if I would have been in that spot that evening, I probably could have killed a deer by, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> but right there around 5 o'clock, they started filtering out into the field. And so, I mean, it just goes into play with what you're saying. Those Those food sources like that are not always going to be the – the food source it doesn't yeah. mean they're not eventually going to end up there mm-hmm. at some point but they're there's, there's other things there's browse you know yeah. uh, uh, greenbrier. Greenbrier, man huge. I see yep. greenbrier especially out here where, blackberry yep mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of we don't have a ton of ag now there's a little bit more up, up in north Alabama closer to Tennessee mm-hmm. than than I get in more of the north I guess north central ish area yeah. and uh so so you can you can use ag gear advantage a little bit more but where i'm at where i'm hunting at man i spend a lot of time looking for the areas that that green bri- briar just mowed down yep and that's kind of how i can off. get a get a idea of if there's deer in the area if i'm in an area and there's just green briar just going up all over the yep. place and
2: there's probably not been browsed very hard. You know, no. The, the population is exactly. there. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And and that's going to come into play a lot when I'm doing a lot of summer scouting. Yeah. Um, or, or that winter scouting, whenever the acorns are already gone, you yep. know, and seeing what. Privet
2: will be king then mm-hmm. when everything else is kind of gone. That privet, that privet they'll really seem to concentrate on, I've found, yeah. uh, later in the season. Uh, this is, you know, coming from. Here again, hanging along creeks and where that privet's available to them, I found that that yeah. it provides the security and it provides the food source. So mm-hmm. I found them sticking, sticking extremely close to that privet, you know, like daylight to dark. Um, and you can go in there and there'll be like a tunnel network in that stuff. And here again, it has it's to like be hogs. some, yeah, it has <laughs> to be some privet with a little age to it, so that it's allowed to get up and kind of mature a little bit to where the tops are a little bit off the ground, because if it's short, it. It's impenetrable to everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, I found in that little bit, you know, that privet that's a little bit more mature and it's got that lack of ground cover, the deer just in there and just hammer it, you know.
1: Yeah. So have you ever, and this is this is good for the listeners too, one of the things that I, I've looked at a lot is if you go into like a cattle pasture mm-hmm. and the cattle pasture that has a whole lot of growth on the edges and stuff, you can almost see like those tunnel systems that you're talking about where cows have been using the same area for so Mm -hmm. so long that may be a good idea for somebody to if they're kind of trying to figure out what you're talking about when when you look at that that's when i see that out in the woods and i see it a lot Mm -hmm. especially like you're talking about with that privet um in texas we had hogs hogs would do that like crazy and they'd make that almost
2: divots in the ground almost Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and it's 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 a pretty cool visual to look at obviously cows much bigger and so It's going to be a lot more defined, but that's something to look for while you're, you know, deer scouting or something like that. If you're seeing those, that's exactly what it
2: is. I killed a good deer two years ago, not last year, year before last, um, in Georgia, and it was in December the 20th, I think it was, or 18th, later in the season for Georgia. You know, the Mm -hmm. rut's just ramping up over here. But um, later in the season for Georgia and – It was one of those same situations. I was hunting along a creek bottom, and it was an area that I had hunted a couple times, but one of those spots that that looked good, and I was like, there should be a buck there, and he should be bedded there, but I never could catch him there for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But then just one day, I was like, you know, what had happened was I had a trail camera on the other side of the property. This was was one of those suburban type settings i was hunting in an archery only county in georgia and i had gained access to i think it was like 11 acres which was a lot for that area
1: that's fun and, too uh, oh yeah urban and stuff is yeah. fun as heck
2: and i was in there and uh it was a lot of privet hedge and it was you know it was floodplain, which is the only reason it wasn't built up so i had a lot of privet in there and uh, along a creek creek drainage there and the creek had a big elbow in it and i was like man a deer should bed right there that's where he should be bedded mm-hmm. and uh, he should come back this way and i had had uh, stand in place and sure enough that day i caught him there and i was in the stand when he stood up and he came right out just beautifully and he just stood up and i watched him in that privet just step by step stopping and nipping stopping and nipping and i was in an area that was um like an old roadbed that they'd pushed out who knows how long ago but it had green briar and it had blackberry a lot of blackberry was in it mm-hmm. and i knew essentially it acted like a food plot and anybody else would have seen that overgrown junk and go that's junk yeah but and this is something that i have a lot of room to improve on like i said courtney being the biologist she knows all her plants and all this stuff and anytime i'm thirsting for knowledge someone when we're out there i'm like what is that I, every time it never fails. When I'm scouting, I'm taking a picture or something. I'm going, "What is this?" When and I bring get back. bring
1: boyfriend to work day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> What's she, that? And, and she knows. She's taught me a lot on like what, and when she says it, I'm like, "Oh, I've heard of that before." Yeah. And then I go and she, and then she directs me to some paper I have to read about, you know, and these findings. And like I was mentioning earlier, she showed me that um, this graph, and it was about s- stomach contents of deer, basically what they were utilizing at certain parts of the year, and it was. I mean, I stared at that thing forever, and I was like, where's that graph at again? And I was looking at it because it was so funny. Like, you were looking in this early part of the year, like July, September, uh, up until the end of September, Forbes was, like, way up high, and you would think that legumes would be up high because that's a bean field, and that's when all your soybeans are, are, and, and this was an area with ag in it, supposedly, and legumes leveled out with forbes usually at about mid-september mm-hmm. but uh, it was like forbes were astronomically higher than everything around it then you got to mid-october then the acorns started so it, some of it made sense but then yeah. i was just blown away at like the amount of forbes they used or you know were found with and i know a lot of that has to do with here again close proximity to bedding like yeah you know, this time of year without any pressure, hunting season's not. If you walk around a bean field right now, you're going to kick a deer up. It seems yeah. like if you walk around the edge of a soybean field right now, right around the edge where blackberries growing up around the, the edge of the field, you're going to kick a deer up that's bedded four feet from the beans. Mm-hmm. Who knows what kind of deer it's going to be. Probably not your oldest deer, but in my, in my opinion, I think they call it seasonal bedding or something yeah. to where, you know, they don't have pressure. They're not getting yeah. bumped all the time. They don't have somebody trying to kill them. And Those
1: I, areas that you're talking about where... Uh, you, you know the kind of the planet, the area outside of the planet area. Yeah, you know I'm talking yeah. about the grass mm-hmm. and all that yep. stuff. Yep. Um. Right now, if you go out to these fields, you're gonna find a whole bunch of holes where deers are mm-hmm. deer are bedded at. Yep. I mean, it. it I, I find them. I find them a lot. You know, when I go into. Um, like a creek bottom where there's a really thick area with lots of grass and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I'll find those beds, yep. and and I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I always you
2: assume it's nighttime, is y- what I look
4: at. I'm yeah,
1: like, nighttime, nighttime or or you know just like what you said. I think you posted it on your uh, your Instagram story the other day. You asked yeah. the question like, "Hey, where's where's this bed? Why would this bed be here?" or Whatever it was, and it was in the in a middle creek.
2: of a wide open bottom, and mm-hmm. I'm like, this had to be made at night.
1: Yeah, like, nighttime feeding beds. Yeah, it
2: had to be a feeding bed, like, at night, because...
1: Or it's cooler. It's cooler yeah, right it was there right now, and they're right not getting pressure. Yeah.
2: But I was just like, it. it I guarantee you, you know, if I was in Georgia at that point, I'm like, September whatever it is, 14th, whenever the bow season opens up, I mm-hmm. bet you that deer don't bed there at any time after no,
1: that. You know? No. No. <laughs> and you also, there's a, there's a big difference in foliage, too, mm-hmm. and cover In a creek bottom right now, even like when I go into some of my deer areas during turkey season, I'm like, it it looks night and day different just because everything's green, everything's grown up. So there's a whole lot more cover right now than there's going to be come October. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, you know, you kind of have to, take those kind of things with a grain of salt kind of yeah however if you're going into an area and you're doing summer scouting and you want to know you just want to know if there's deer in the area yeah those are great you know because it, it works just the same way as a rub or an old scrape or something like that it just lets you know hey this might be worth dissecting this area yeah. because there's deer here
2: and the biggest thing that i've seen this year comparing to stuff from last year is when they plant corn in an area i'm convinced that deer get in that corn and they don't flip and leave. Yeah. I'm like this place I know has a lot of deer in it and there's like no sign. Mm-hmm. I'm like I know they're here. And you go look in the fields that were beans last year or corn this year and you know those deer are just flat out living in that cornfield. So when that when that's cut, I'm sure everything gets right back to right back to normal. Back to normal. So when I'm out there scouting like this time of year I'm looking for those bulletproof locations and it's like I found a lot of beds this year that I found hair in but they're not like just super steaming fresh you know I found some Mm -hmm. fresh ones but like I found some that I'm hoping are going to be productive once deer season gets here because it all just in my mind it makes sense now mm-hmm. i don't mean it's going to come together most often not yeah but um it's
1: a very small percentage yeah. of the, those <laughs> but
2: i found some beds i'm like man this is a bulletproof location uh, there's no reason for a, a, a big deer not to be here he's protected on three sides he's got to watch this area right here and he can see very easily and there's a looks like a bed here like but it's not being used currently but you know maybe it's adjacent to corn or something and he's staying in the middle of that corn which here again is food and bulletproof i mean he can
1: well it's not always bad in my opinion to find like again when when you, we were talking about finding those beds that are in those creek bottoms or something like that during the summer summertime bedding is not something that i'm necessarily even i'll, I'll look for it you know i'll, yeah. I'll go and find it but most of the time man if i'm if i'm going and looking for an area that i that i want to hunt let's say come october or november yeah finding fresh hair in yeah. there you know it's not something that yeah. i necessarily want to find because yeah. i don't want to find a spot that they're bedding in the summer July, yeah you know that's not what I i'm like, looking
2: for i found some primary beds that i think they use year-round mm-hmm. like some of those super secure beds that i do think they find year-round and i i love when i find them and it's almost like it's almost like you can't avoid him. Like as soon yeah. as you lay your eyes on him, you're like, ooh, he was just here and he's been here for a long time. It's like, almost like almost you can see the divot. heat. The yeah. heat
1: that's still yeah. on the bed where he you probably busted him out yeah. of
2: there. And then the tree he's laid up against is like he's got the bark almost moved off against off of it where he's been laid up against it and stuff and you find those areas and that's the whole thing I'm looking for when I'm out there scouting mm-hmm. this time of year anyways. So, so even though I might post a insta story of a deer bed it's still kind of like yeah this is a deer bed but it's not the one i was looking for because yeah. this one it's does it's does in a yearling you know it's uh this you know it's just i've only found like I've, I've done quite a bit of scouting this year and i found like two yeah that i would consider like that as a primary when you come into this spot to hunt this area you better crawl to here you know yeah just just come in here with your you know your game face on when it comes time to hunt this Mm -hmm. spot um those things are so flipping hard to find i've found yeah that that i just can't seem to bump into them nearly i mean i can go out there and look at this area and go there should be a bed here i walk over there and there's a bed there Mm -hmm. but i'm like it just doesn't look like it should to be like a primary primary bed you know and that's what i'm looking for is that primary like i found one last week i was like hmm and I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around something a little different. We talked about pressure earlier. I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to think about this is a very pressured area. This is the way that the pressure is going to come from. Where's that you're going to go? Yeah. Because I know he's going to be right in this area, and he's going to get bumped. Where's he going to go for security? So I started trying to wrap my mind around that. You know, just trying to prepare to get ready for season. Um, and like I said, I overanalyze everything. So I'm like looking at the map. I go, Where's he going to go? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go here. And if there's any deer sign whatsoever, so that I know that it's not here again, just something that's completely barren, mm-hmm. then I'm going to assume that he's going to wind up here if he's bumped because it's a few hundred yards away. It's enough room for him to run and get a little buffer for security. And it's one of these kind of, uh, kind of a bulletproof location where he can see everything around him and will feel safe enough spending the rest of the day there. Yeah. So I go into that area and I bump like, 15 deer out of it it's all does and there was literally like 20 beds in there i'm talking steaming well i mean i jumped them out of it yeah. and they had used it a lot and it was an open little spot and it had some green briar in it and they were bedded in i mean in this super open little area like where everything neck down i thought that'd be a good little spot for him to get to if he was running from you know running from being bumped and in that little green briar thicket that these deer were bedded i'm talking a bunch of deer and i looked around it and i saw some rubs not anything just eye-opening you know but there was a few rubs i figured were probably from the rut last year these bucks coming in there looking for does Mm -hmm. but i'm planning on one saturday when i know the place is going to get a lot of pressure i'm assuming the buck knows that that's somewhat of a pretty safe bet to get in there and bed safely because all the does do yeah and i assume if you can get in there Especially on like a morning hunt, if you can get in there early enough to let him get in there before everything goes haywire when everybody else gets there. Yeah. And then almost look for people to bump the deer to you Mm -hmm. and you try to get in that secondary cover. I don't know if anybody does that. I don't know if anybody's done it successfully. I know people use pressure to find deer, but I don't know. That's something I wrapped my mind around. And I was really surprised when I walked in there and found the amount of deer I did. Yeah, and I was like almost thinking to myself, I wasn't expecting to find this much deer activity in here. I was just hoping to go in there and find some droppings and maybe some old rubs to yeah. let me know that there is some activity in here. But with it almost being a primary type bed, here again, it it did It was it had to be does. Yeah, you know they were betting in safety and numbers because there was a bunch of them. So,
1: so that is that is something that you know, when I'm talking about kayak access or anything like that the whole the sole purpose of that is to hunt people's pressure Mm -hmm. right so um i've got areas where i'm hunting uh hunting club boundaries Mm -hmm. where i know that i'm going to be getting they're on the private land that's prime but they're pushing deer into an area that's public that's not accessible by walking in that's a lot of the areas so i do that a lot um knowing that even my little amount of pressure that i'm putting in there is better than the. 50 guys that are on the other side so if a deer is going to have a choice of which direction to go it's probably going to go towards my side um but like what you're talking about with an area like that like man it's easy to go into an area that is not getting pressured in the summer Mm -hmm. and or an area that's like say it's a quota area for part of the season or it's closed for part of the season or whatever where the deer aren't super pressured but maybe for a short amount of time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's easy to go in and scout it and find a bunch of deer sign. Yep. You know, like I think about deer going. being deer. Yeah. I go out to Kentucky where there's just deer everywhere. There's deer <laughs> in every single corner and you can go out. Like, I promise you if we got in my car right now and drove to Kentucky and had 10 minutes of daylight, we'd see bucks. <laughs> like we just would because they're doing, they're doing their, their routine. They're doing yeah. their, they're their, in that summer pattern. Um, It is unrealistic to think that you can go in there during deer season and see the same type of thing. So if that's what your summer scouting is consisted of, is going and finding just some deer sign.
2: If you're going in there looking for summer routines. Exactly. Congratulations, you found a deer in July. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) It's not hard to find a deer in July. What's really hard to do is is what you're talking about is going into area and wasting time a lot of times. Mm going in and saying, if I can find just a little bit of deer sign right here, then it'll give me enough confidence to go in there during the season when maybe they'll be getting pushed back here. And that's a lot Um, of
2: times you've and here again – is a lot of times that's the only, only way you're going to know that's through experience, mm-hmm. and that's like what the hardest thing when you're hunting a new piece of ground you can assume where the pressure is going to come from, but you don't ever really know with 100% certainty. Yeah, and if you're hunting, it's hard to see where the pressure's coming from a lot of times because you're up a tree, too, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, a lot of that's got to do with that experience type stuff, you know, you've just got to see it happen, and it's really hard to look at a new piece of ground and say. Let's find those spots that he's going to go after he's bumped. Mm-hmm. It's just a guessing game. It is. You know? Um,
1: I think maybe that's the difference with um, with hunting terrain features versus hunting flatter land. Like, mm-hmm. if I could put it all in a nutshell of everything we've talked about is a lot. Like I said, I can go into an area and guess with terrain, you know, with that has steeper terrain mm-hmm. and probably be more successful. Um than going at, than guessing in swampland, you because know what I mean, more or flatland.
2: Because the experience,
1: well, the experience and also terrain features are going to tell you a whole lot more about the way a deer is traveling. And escape. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas swampland or flatland, farmland, all mm-hmm. of it is really more of a game of of boots on the ground. It yeah. really is. Like the people that I see who are most successful in that type of situation are the ones who are putting their boots on the ground and that you could say that as a blanket statement over deer hunting just in, in general, general yeah. but you're not going to know the things about flatland by just looking at it on a the map there's yep. certain things you like what we talked about ground
2: cover i mean you can tell pines versus hardwoods versus swamp a lot of times but a lot of times hardwood swamps like we just mentioned they're so open that you don't know yep they can be that deer can use them to their advantage, you know, mm-hmm. using a visual advantage there, and um, you're not going to know that until you actually lay your eyes on it. You and know? go and
1: see it. I yeah. I scouted a place last weekend, and it's a flood area, so mm-hmm. they flood it for duck hunters, basically, yeah. and it's it's a great area. I jumped a giant buck in really? there, and it was awesome. It's was, it was just a really cool place. It was a big, huge island, is pretty yeah. much all it was, and. Um, I went into one spot. I, the, the way I went in, I paddled in, and I went in, and it was thick, man. It was awesome. Maybe like maybe like a five-foot elevation change yeah. in this one area versus another side of it. But it was thick. You could tell this specific spot did not get flooded or anything like that. It stayed out of water a little mm-hmm. bit. And I ended up hiking all That's where I jumped the deer. I jumped yeah. several deer in there. I hiked all the way around this island and got to the other end and it was what you're talking about it's just flooded it wasn't flooded at the time but it's just wide, wide open. open you can yeah. see there was corn planted in there and you could see from from like one side of the woods all the way to the cornfield on oh, the other yeah. side of the woods like yeah. you could just see everything yeah. and i wasn't finding deer sign there wasn't hardly yeah. anything he there he was a but, but from a map it looked the exact same yeah. you couldn't tell yeah and so i think i think that's the main thing that we established in this podcast is the the absolute best thing you can do is go and see an area find yeah, an area sure. find these food sources that we're talking about yeah. you know um and be able to differentiate between things that they need to survive yeah and what their bodies prefer versus things that you think their bodies prefer yeah for sure know? it's
2: definitely like taking a step back and realizing that um in my opinion, food is, is, is secondary, and it's a distant secondary to, to security. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's a distant secondary because, and that's for two reasons, and here again we're probably reiterating something that we've already talked about, but, but that's because a lot of times food is a lot closer than you think it is. Yeah, It always seems to be a lot closer than I think it is. I watched a buck stand up out of its bed a couple different times during summer scouting last year. I found a, a spot where a buck was bedding the buck I killed, and it was one of those situations to where I was looking at satellite imagery, and I thought... That's a discoloration there. I wonder what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder what that is. And then I went and checked it, and it, there was a deer exactly where it was supposed to be. Yeah. And he and he was so confident that he didn't run. Like, he was so confident that I didn't see him, so I just made out like I didn't see him and kept on moving through there. Well, I was able to go right back in there knowing that he was there at that point, and what, them deer would just stand up. And feed on what you would just think was just nothing, like yeah. dead limb. But they're sitting there feeding, they're eating, and they're doing their thing. And they're not moving more than twenty yards. Mm-hmm. And there's always food, in my opinion. A deer's a deer's got stuff to eat, especially this time of year—summer, yeah. spring. Things are growing, things are green. Early they've, season, man. They've got stuff to eat everywhere. Um, you can you can hunt a destination food source until they get a little bit of pressure, and then I think they're gonna make sure that security it like reiterates to them that okay security is number one you know yeah. they get like a days ago like everybody does about anything sure you know um you run 90 miles an hour down the highway going to work every day and it's easy to do it gets you to work quicker you get a ticket highway patrol starts sitting there you're going to start keeping it with inside the inside yeah. the speed limit and that's like just it reiterating hey speed limit is there for a reason and i think that's the same way with deer they kind of get loose on that security being the most important thing until that hunting pressure when they, they only get need to get reminded one time and once they're reminded that one time everything comes back to mm-hmm. keeping the main thing the main thing and then here again then, then it's reiterated almost daily with public land deer you know they're going to have yeah. some type of interference or intrusion or something Mm -hmm. so that security just becomes more and more important until the season's over and
1: that's another thing too you were talking about the deer in georgia that you watched get up out of his bed and Mm -hmm. he was nipping here nipping Mm -hmm. there and i think a lot of people underestimate that the fact how important bedding is even in a hunting setup it's it's really important to know Mm -hmm. where these beds these beds are at you know and doing your scouting and finding finding where these beds but it's very important, especially in the early season, because a deer does not want to move around a whole lot. Yeah. Indeed. And so when you're when you're talking about going in and just watching a, a buck stand up and he's just nipping here, they're slow movers.
2: Slow. Yep. They're
1: not. So I hear a lot of people say, you know, I hunt the bed to food. Well, I do too. In, yep. a, in a lot of a lot of times um, during the rut, I hunt bed to food a lot because I want to find where those does are going from their bed to food. Yeah. And I want to find those bucks. You know, looking, scent checking those trails and things yeah. like that. But um, in that early season, man, I, I cannot think of a tactic that is more productive, more dangerous when you're talking about, you know, busting deer out of there, but productive in the fact, uh, in encounters with mature bucks then crouching in as close as you can mm-hmm. to those bedding areas to where even sometimes you can get a shot off in oh, those yeah. bedding areas. Yeah, for sure. Um, now you will deal with, I, I tell my dad, you know, my dad has 20 acres in East Texas, not a big piece of property. If he goes in and starts getting aggressive like that, then he's going to blow every deer out yeah. of the area. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a public land deer hunter and you've got thousands of acres to work mm-hmm. with, going in and finding those mm-hmm. enough to where you can, you know, ki- kind of have a, do it all
2: season without having to worry about exactly you know compromising the one spot that you can kill a deer exactly yeah, that's the beauty behind public land hunting we are fortunate enough to, to live in a day and age where we have and in an area and country that allows us to have public land that you know everybody I would say is within an hour of some public land hunting absolutely and, you know most of it especially here in the southeast has abundant game populations on it you know some better than others obviously um, but having the flexibility to, to have several or many areas of your at your disposal to get aggressive without worrying about this is the only deer mm-hmm. that I that I have and been yeah. worried about bumping him out and I think that that's where a lot of my like uh where I kind of my turkey hunting and deer hunting kind of mesh a little bit because I'm extremely aggressive when it comes to closing the distance before you know they know you're there obviously with deer they never know you're there but with turkey aspect of it you know before you make a call or whatever i always have always if i could gain 10 more yards i'm going to gain 10 more yards and it's mm-hmm. the same thing with it, hunting these beds is 10 yards may not seem far but and you consider this deer is going to get up possibly right at last light and he could like you said nipping and being slow and just taking a step and taking a step like that 10 yards can be life or death. And I think yeah. that's that to me is the hardest thing, trying to figure out where and how far to push that envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, I did on another deer last year after I had killed the one that I killed. I had another idea where another deer was bedded, and I pushed too far. I'm fairly certain because mm-hmm. um, I'm fairly certain he was in there. But going back and looking at it, hindsight, after the season and sitting where I know he was sitting – he could see too dang well where I had crawled into and snuck up to. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, that deer was bedded right here. But he can – I approached him from the wrong angle. Like yeah. I approached him from the angle that he could see too good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, here again, lesson learned. If I hadn't have gotten to that location and he would have stood up and walked out, I, I probably wouldn't have been close enough to kill him. Right. And that's the challenge to, like, you know, hunting those, those super open bottoms like that. Those jokers use their eyes as much as anything. So – I found some beds that I'm like, okay, how am I going to get into within shooting range of this thing, or getting in? Well, are he going to get to me before dark gets here, and I'm like, I really don't know. Like, I don't. Some of
1: them are just flat out bulletproof. Yeah, like they, even then that's why they're there. Even if he doesn't
2: know you're coming, and you know he's there, like, mm-hmm. how am I going to get here without boogering this up? And some of them, I'm still scratching my head on. I'm yeah. like am I going to get here at midnight and see if he's going to come back and possibly try to kill him in the morning. But then your wind's going to do screwy things in this area. It's going to just because you got a Northwest or West, or we get a lot of Southeast early season. That doesn't mean it's going to stay Southeast all morning. He's going to get there before daylight and he's going to wind you and he's still just Didn't
1: have enough room on the weather channel app to tell you which directions (laughs) the wind was actually going to go for the rest of the day. Um, man, I, that was, that was awesome. Uh, Like there's a couple of things that I think we established in that um, whole conversation, you know, about bedding and and the the food sources and primary food sources and things like that. Just a ton of information for somebody who is, you know, in my I, I put myself right in this category of trying to learn more about what are guys doing in this type of terrain, this type of area that are successful what are they doing and so being able to pick your brain man has been absolutely incredible i know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are gonna really enjoy that
2: well the pleasure was all mine uh i don't feel like i have a lot of knowledge to share but i'm glad (laughs) to share what what little bit i know uh like i said i felt like the what success i've i've found with deer hunting has been flat out through persistence And uh, stubbornness, probably willingness to (laughs) willingness just to keep on getting up, keep on getting out there. Which here again is uh, the secret recipe that you can't buy in all kind of hunting is experience and determination. I mean, if you're out there enough, you're eventually going to bump into one, you know. Yeah. Um, But I do think some of these tactics that, and like I said, I'm not here to take credit for any of them. I'm regurgitating a lot of what's the popular thing is now with this bedding. But I once it became once they give a reason to the you know kind of explained it so in terms that i can understand i'm like you know what that makes sense back when i killed that deer in 2010 i was hunting here and that's right where he should have been like it started making sense so then Mm -hmm. i've started trying to employ that in my scouting now and um last year honestly was or well the year before last when i was hunting that urban piece is the first year that i had started trying to employ all this stuff and use it in scouting and it was really funny because I started scouting and started listening to all this right before the season when everything came out. And it was like late <laughs> September, October. I'm like, man, I wish I had a, would have had this during the summer. You know, I could have figured this stuff out during the summer. Yeah. But then I had a season that, and I ended up killing the killing the, a nice deer over there that year, and then this past year I killed that nice deer. I'm like, you know what? These tactics, there's something to them. Yeah. I remember calling my brother and going, man, you know this stuff they're talking about? This military crest and thermal tunnel and bulletproof bedding and this – uh, sound-based bedding and all this stuff—that stuff's real. Like yeah. I'm, I'm going to these places that I'm looking at on a map, and I'm finding beds, and you know I'm jumping deer, and it all makes sense. So, yep. Anyways, I hope hopefully somebody was able to pull like one little nugget of information out of all this Man. rambling that makes sense, and hopefully can can help somebody.
1: Here's the one piece of nugget that will remain true, no matter what, is that you're a turkey killer and people need to watch you on youtube especially if they like turkey hunting but also this this season hopefully for some deer too
2: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try to drag that camera along as much as i hate it but i'm gonna try to drag <laughs> that camera along for deer uh also but i'm not sure how i'm gonna structure it yet because i feel like i would bore everybody to death in a deer stand but
1: well um, if you feel like dave would not bore you then uh let me know on this episode i think I, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> listen. As long as you got a cigar in your hand, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be watching. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, if you guys are interested in in uh, learning more about Dave and the Pen- Penhodi Project, check him out on Instagram. It's at Penhody Hot Project. Yeah, it's right?
2: Penhodi Project and Facebook, and of course YouTube is the yep. Dave Owens Penhodi the Penhodi Project. I think is what the title is on YouTube. But
1: perfect. Yeah, man, awesome. Well, thanks All for right. coming on the it show. Was a Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tether, New Canoe, and Scream Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out SouthernGroundHunting.com to pick up some of our merch hats, t-shirts. truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week remember this god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time